everybody, and welcome back to Opera Off Stage. I'm Jesse, and I'm Michelle. You guys loved our Valentine's Day episode, and I'm glad you did because we had so much fun making it, which is why we wanted to follow it up with another conversation along those same lines. Uh, we have a very, very exciting uh, pair of guests with us today to talk about marriage uh, and being professional musicians. We have Nathan and Julie Gunn with us today, as some of you guys guessed from our little Guess the Guest on Instagram. It's very exciting. I've been wanting to have them on for quite a while. And they have some incredible advice for us as people who have both been professional musicians uh, about as long as they've been married. Yeah. Well, I was just really have been keen to do a marriage and, you know, starting a family type episode because I think there's this kind of general thought amongst many young musicians that, you know, getting married is this big, crazy, scary thing, especially if your partner is a musician. Like, how are you going to support a family? Like, can you even have a family if you're in a relationship with another musician and you're traveling and doing all this stuff? So it's it's kind of a weird subject to talk about sometimes, especially when you're younger. And it seems kind of scary. So we were super excited to have Nathan and Julie join us to kind of like demystify, talk about their personal experience. And they're just lovely people. So we're really excited to uh, to chat with them about this topic. But before we dive in and say hello to our guests, um, we have a couple of announcements. So we're super excited. We're teaming up with Yoga for All Musicians this week to host a free yoga class on our Instagram Live. So if you are looking for a fun little opportunity to get your body moving, to kind of break up your uh, busy Saturday, we will be doing a free yoga class on Instagram Live this Saturday, February 20th at 2 p.m. Pacific, 4 Central, 5 Eastern. And that's going to be led by Amelia. And I think it's going to be super fun. Like, how accessible is Instagram Live? You can just set it up, pull out your yoga mat, get comfortable, and just follow a fun little free exercise. I'm super pumped. Yeah, I'm very excited for us to all do a little bit of yoga together. Maybe de-stress a little bit from week three of the practice challenge. Yeah, exactly. And if you guys aren't already following us on our socials, we host a bunch of free virtual events all the time. We have giveaways, we launch new products, we tell you all about the things that are happening over here at Opera Off Stage. So you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, literally any social media platform, we're probably on it. And you can find us at Opera Offstage. Yeah. So a lot of you guys probably do know who Nathan and Julie are, but for those of you who don't, let me give a quick introduction to both of them. Nathan Gunn has performed many of opera and musical theaters like signature roles on huge stages. He's been on television, radio, video, simulcast. He was in the first ever Met HD production of Magic Flute, where he sang Papageno, which is definitely one of the roles he's most well-known for. But he's also done Billy Budd, Figaro, Don Giovanni, and he has a Grammy Award for the Best Opera Recording for Billy Budd. He also has crossed over into musical theater. He's been in Carousel and Camelot, and he was in the televised celebration of Stephen Sondheim's 80th birthday. What I'm saying is you've probably seen Nathan somewhere. <laughs> He's also a champion of new music. He's been a part of a number of new songs, operas, theater. He actually uh, debuted a year or two ago. He debuted his autobiographical show, which was produced and written by Hershey Felder, entitled Flying Solo. And he and Julie actually have their own production company now called Shot in the Dark, where they produce and perform cabaret shows to entertain the public and to give new artists and 
Hometown Celebrities, a platform to showcase their talents. He is also a professor and the Swanland Chair at University of Illinois, where he co-directs Lyric Theater. Julie Gunn is a pianist and educator and music director. She also has been on a number of stages, including Aspen Festival, Boston Celebrity Series, Cal Performances, the Carnegie Hall Pure Voices Series, Cincinnati Chamber Music Society, the Clyburn Foundation, Dallas Opera, Melbourne's Harmer Hall, and Craner Center for the Performing Arts, Lincoln Center Great Performers. You get the idea. I could, I could list things for days. <laughs> and there is like another page and a half of that. She's also been heard with people like William Burden, Richard Croft, Michelle DeYoung, Elizabeth Futrell, Isabel Leonard, Kelly O'Hara, Mandy Patinkin, Patty Lapone, Yvonne Gonzalez Redman, the Jupiter Quartets, and of course her husband, Nathan Gunn. Um, she is also a co-director of Lyric Theater at Illinois, and she produces the three main stage operas or musical theater works at Cranert Center for the Performing Arts. She's also a faculty member of the School of Music and is also a prolific producer and arranger of new music. That is to say, they do a lot. <laughs> we love almost a out power of breath. Couple. University of Illinois is, of course, where I met them because they head up the Lyric Theater there. I have been directed and taught by both Nathan and Julie, and they are both incredible performers as well as incredible teachers and directors. And it's uh, it's a privilege to know them, but it's also very exciting to have them on to talk today. So welcome to the podcast, Nathan and Julie. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank Glad you. to be here. Yep. So our episode is all about marriage and being married to another musician, and I couldn't think of a better couple to talk about this because not only are you both very well-known musicians, but you keep pretty rigorous work schedules. And you also have five kids, which is really going for gold in terms of children in the musical world. <laughs> um, it is a bit but, unusual. Yeah. And, and they are all wonderful. I've met most of them, <laughs> I think, Thank at you. this point. <laughs> but let's start off with how you guys met. Okay. Well, that's an easy one. We met the first day of school when we came to the University of Illinois in 1989. That's so cute. <laughs> it was the first day of opera. It was. It was actually, it's the, I mean, it was a different program at the time, but it's the same program we, we run now. So we kind of like to say that we've sort of gone nowhere in our lives. <laughs> we just, just gotten older. Incredible. Just got older and then ended up in this, well, down the hall. It used to be in a different room. Down the hall. So. But anyway, uh, I came in, uh, Nathan was already there. He offered me his chair, which I, I thought was a little strange because I was from a um, part of the country where that didn't happen as, as chivalrically as it does here. Good word. She took it, though. I mean, the place was full. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you oh. go. I thought he was much older than he was. He was a freshman. And when I found that out, I felt a little bit bad for not having been warmer. Uh, <laughs> But then I was a grad student, and then I had a, a job as a, the, one of the coaches, one of the music staff members, and they got an idea, the faculty, that we should have undergrads do some scenes that were directed by grad students. And so I was assigned to teach Nathan um, Hin und Zurück by yeah, Paul I mean, Hindemith. Why anybody would actually, it's a, it's a retrograde piece by Hindemith. It's really hard. And I'm thinking, why would they have <laughs> what a strange undergrads thing. do this? Anyway, we, we still don't know this opera at all. No, it goes forward, it goes backwards. <laughs> I never quite learned it. We mostly started dating then. And, we thought and I we could it. learn this or we could go to dinner. And that's sort of how it started. <laughs> those days, Incredible. You know, was, those days I was really hungry. <laughs> Over 
very hungry and it's not very good opera. No, it's not. Okay. And nobody can tell. So there we go. There you <laughs> I go. Still don't know it how all it worked out. <laughs> it worked out. And fine. I've never yeah. heard of anybody doing it since then. So no. that was, you know, 32 years ago. Yes, it was. <laughs> so so you made the right choice in going to dinner. Mm-hmm. I think so. It definitely paid off. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you made the right choice to to offer your chair. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so when did when did you guys get married? We got married in 1992 on July 25th, which it was the oh. date was chosen because it was my mother-in-law's birthday and she didn't like birthdays and she thought that's a perfect time to have a wedding so she doesn't have to think about her birthday. But then our second child was born on July 25th, so it's a big day. It's a big day. That's fine. It's a, it's a big day. Mm-hmm. We got married in California, actually, because that's where I'm from, too, but from Northern California. Oh, oh. cool. So we got married in Palo Alto. I don't know why California. I didn't know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. And uh, one of my bridesmaids was Eleni Sokopoulos, now Kunalakis, who's the lieutenant governor of the Golden State. Oh, my State. gosh. Mm-hmm. Wow. And she, at the time, drove a, a lavender Porsche. <laughs> so we had this kind of, like, sort of, fake getaway part of the of the various receptions and so we she Barred let us her purple Porsche drive away in her away. purple yeah. Porsche yeah when she gave up that car she said she felt really kind of lonely because no one um honked at her she was used to being <laughs> honked at everywhere she went and incredible then stopped yeah. yeah yeah that's so funny so obviously I mean congratulations on such a a fruitful and long marriage. That's amazing. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages that you guys have seen of being married to another musician? Well, the advantages for me have been that I've never had to learn to play the piano. (laughs) (laughs) Truly the dream for Michelle and I. The dream (laughs) for any vocalist. Um, And then then there's the hot meal thing. She's really good at language, her French particularly, which I, I never really got into. So that's helped. No, I, I, well, I, you know, it's interesting that I find that generally speaking in the, in the world of music, if, if you're married to another musician, particularly in the classical world of singing and all of that, uh, the ones that tend to work out are usually singer, accompanist, singer, conductor. The singer-singer thing usually isn't too good because they're always going in different directions. But it would be hard... I, I totally agree with that, but it would also be hard if you were not related to classical music at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be another kind of performer. I think it would just be the same. But I think if you were married to somebody who who was not in the arts at all, there would be a it would be tricky during the the harder parts to re- relate. Sometimes we have said before that uh, when you get married to anybody, regardless of whether you're a musician or I don't know a truck driver, you should marry somebody who likes the the good parts of your job so that they are patient with the bad parts of your job, mm-hmm. you know? So if you're like really value stability, then, then an accountant might be the right person for you. Cause that would make you happy. And sometimes maybe it would be a little dry, but you know, <laughs> True. You, don't like stability, you could, you know, marry would, a drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> there you go. The two sides of the spectrum, accountants and drummers. <laughs> Yes. Exactly. That's it. Yes. I think we can agree that encompasses all the professions. Yes. <laughs> I was dating someone at one point who did tell me they're like, I never ever want to bring my work home, and I don't want you to bring your work home. And I was like, That's not how this works. <laughs> it's like yeah, my music is always with me. I was like, I primarily work at home. Yeah, it's true. You, I mean, the and 
it, it, and also you just have weird it's a weird schedule like I, I always thought you guys did you ever watch Downton Abbey oh yes you must have yeah, yeah okay oh, Do you remember yes. when the 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 what the what was she called the governess the, the the, not the governess the duchess yeah. was she said the someone dowager. mentioned the dowager yeah dowager whatever and uh and she's someone mentioned weekends to her and she says what is this weekend right <laughs> i always thought that was funny right but in the arts that's the case we don't have weekends or holidays and people who really love that sort of thing don't quite understand that that's when we do our work we're always working when most people come home for dinner, we're going to get to either to the theater and, you know, when they're having Christmas Eve, you're heading off to the place to entertain right. all the people that are going out, you know, so it's. Another couple that we're close to that yeah. has been married a long time, uh, longer than we have, is Mandy Patinkin and Catherine Grody. And I remember Catherine saying, you know, we have a lot of privileges in our life, but one of them is not saying, well, every July the 10th, we always went to the same place. Yeah, that just you know, never happened. That's not an arts. You, you need to kind of not really need to have that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of exactly. Have to be a little freer. And also it reminds me your question. Uh, our youngest daughter, Olivia, is now a nanny for another family with four kids. And they're, they're really, really charming, great kids. And they come over here sometime. She was trying to get to know the parents and they said, they're aware that we were kind of similar to them, a little older. And they said, what do your parents like to do for fun? And she said, I didn't know what to say. And I thought, works? Work more? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, we're always coming up with a different creative you know, project. And then for fun, we have dinner parties, I guess. We cook. Yeah. So Not that's... as many lately, of course. No. Well, I mean. Except, we have... No. Except we have five kids and then they have their significant others. So the house has got like 10 people in it. Yeah. Still nice. get to cook. <laughs> You're doing your best. We're doing our best. Doing our best, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's so fun. Tonight, our babies are turning 19. So yeah. we're having a... Yeah, so our, our youngest twin, our twins, and they turn... Well, they we're having a party for them tonight, but they turn 19 tomorrow. Very cute. Well, congratulations. Wow. Mm -hmm. Thank you. They made it. And, we, and we did, too. <laughs> They've done it. <laughs> They've survived. They've survived. Goodbye to the nursery. They are adults. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> goodbye <laughs> oh my goodness but you, we mentioned this a little bit when we were talking about the advantage and, and disadvantages but one of the tricky things about dating someone who also has a career in music is that work fluctuates a lot especially early on and so how do you kind of deal with like the the instability of being a musician as a married couple mm. i mean nathan you actually won the met council audition almost straight out of uh undergrad yeah i won it when i was a senior yeah. in college and so i ended up at that time, uh, Wolf Trap Opera, the summer program, was kind of like a summer camp for all the kids that were in the Young Artist Program at the Met. And so I ended up going and doing that. And then after that, uh, during that summer, they asked me to join their Young Artist Program. So I kind of went from, it was kind of like my graduate school, basically, uh, the, uh, doing the Young Artist Program there. You have lessons, you know, in languages. It's, it's really and the same sort of thing. Sort of coachings. Yeah. And, and yeah. they put you on stage in small roles or whatever. And so I went from that to the Young Artist Program, and then within a year had an agent and was auditioning for stuff. But, you know, we also that first year moving there, I mean, we moved after the summer, and then Madeline was born in March. So it was, we started a family pretty, pretty young, and it was a lot of pressure. And of course, we had moved. <laughs> we, 
we got married. I was still in school. We moved into an apartment, and when they raised the rent to like four hundred bucks, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. So we bought a house, so at least we'd own it and pay less. But then we moved to New York, and we were paying, you know, in nineteen what was it ninety four or something mm-hmm. like that. We were paying eighteen hundred dollars a month, and you it, things were t- with a new child and a one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it, yeah, it was a big wake-up call. It's kind of funny, though, that at the time, before before he won that competition and before we went to Wolf Trap, I was working at a church as a choir director and just playing, you know, I was the uh, accompanist breadwinner of the family. Mm-hmm. And I got pregnant. Maybe I said I would go to Wolf Trap. Somehow they called me and offered me a job on the, on the coaching staff. And they, I knew Nathan was going to be going already. And, and it was actually, that's also a tricky thing because one of my best friends got married that summer and I'd already said that I'd be a bridesmaid on August 22nd. I remember it because it kind of seared my soul, but I, I, I said I would be your bridesmaid and then they offered me this job and I said, could I please only not be there on August 22nd so I can help my friend get married? And they said, well, that's the most important day you have to be there. So you have to either take this job or not. And so I, I pulled out of her wedding and it was um, painful for her and it was painful for me too. But in the meantime, I got pregnant with Madeline. And, and so honestly, I kind of moved to New York. I didn't really, I wasn't very interested in moving to New York. I really liked my job and I had a lot of little kids that I, I kind of looked after in that, in that job. But they offered health insurance, and I just thought, what a great time to have health insurance. Being pregnant. So, yeah. <laughs> what a good time to have health insurance. Mm-hmm. So I went there for a couple of years, and I played. I was just really lucky to be able to play for all those, all those people. Nico Castell, who you all know, you know, tells you how to pronounce everything. He taught me how to pronounce everything, too, but directly. And Renata Scotto, all these big you know, luminaries of the arts would Jimmy Levine, all those folks learned a lot from that, but then felt like really living in Manhattan and being the only person who has a baby, I wasn't really getting a lot of great things out of Manhattan, mostly like walking around a lot. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Not fun. So it came not, that wasn't as fun as it used to be. So we came back here, or I did with Madeline and started my doctorate. So I had five kids while I was getting my doctorate. Wow. It wasn't really the plan. Wow. I'm sweating for you. Ironically, I teach a class <laughs> called career preparation, but it's really not the case that made any career preparations. <laughs> well, that's Nor did Nathan of... or any of our friends. No, I, mean, I mean, honestly, the, what you kind of have, I mean, we'll tell you, you know, in that class, you can talk about taxes. We can kind of give you a heads up about the stuff we didn't know about at the time. But uh, to be prepared for a career in music, you just kind of have to know how to use your instrument and become confident enough and not self-conscious enough to be yourself. Because you being most the most yourself as you can be is the most interesting to everybody. And it's kind of hard to believe at the time when you're young, but... You don't, you know, usually everybody has somebody that they, you know, um, admire and they kind of want to replicate and all of that. And that, you know, you can do that to a certain extent, but the the people that you're admiring and maybe imitating are better at being them than you are. So 
it's you know, what you want yeah. to do is use. It's something we got into on an episode that the first half of uh, cl for classical musicians is especially singers is learning all these rules all of a sudden. Mm. And so you kind of, people tend to become very stiff. And then the second half of your education is really you trying to break out of those rules and actually remember who you are as a performer. Oh, that's right. To create a, a self-image as a performer. It's the big challenge. But it is the difficulty of an academic setting is that it does tend to make people a little bit stiff. Yes. And, and academic, any, just classical, yeah, whether it's academic and, or not. Yeah. 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 There is all this kind of stricture that people take on. Yeah. And, and you're surrounded by a lot of critics and you're also surrounded by people who want to be able to put you in a box so they can sell you. And that's you, you basically you just fight against it. And, uh, and, and during that fight, you kind of learn more about yourself. You know, it's funny. We are old enough now to kind of know how, in some cases, I don't know, the whole story ends, but like some chapters have ended. So can look back, for example, it was hard for us to start playing, doing recitals together because it seemed at the time to a lot of people who knew better that it seemed kind of hokey for a young guy, especially a young guy who was kind of somewhat billed as a leading man kind of guy. To, to have his wife play his wife. for him, you yeah. know, like he couldn't afford a real accompanist kind of kind of oh. dynamic. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of pushback. And finally, that's so funny. No, I that's know. So and then rude. finally, this, it is <laughs> it's not so very rude. feminist. <laughs> yeah, yes. so and, and then finally, there was an, an opportunity, just kind of tragic, tragic circumstances. But it turned out that uh, Julie was able to play for uh, my Carnegie Hall recital debut. And once that happened. It was fine because they went, oh, I see. Right. These are two real musicians who happen to be married and a great team. And they're kind of charming together. And then since then, we just have kind of right. done everything. And that was a um, that was a Schubert song cycle. That was Dishner Miller. And and then since then, we've been getting getting kind of gradually more weird. Let's say. Strange. Particular Unusual. to ourselves. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. All of those things. Um Original feeling. Um, Original. <laughs> anyway, we've gotten to the point that we we really viewed as a, like an act, you know, like they. It's gone completely full full circle to where that is actually our identity as a recitaling couple. These cabarets where we kind of talk about our, you know, make fun of each other and. The thing is, yeah. we never intend that to be. It's just. She does something really annoying, and I just comment. You can't help it. <laughs> Poor Nathan. Yeah, right. Oh, my God. Oh, what? I remember one time, what did I say one? And it's so funny. I've, I've learned that you cannot make fun of your wife on stage because people start to really hate you if you no do that. No one laughs. No one laughs. No, but you can make fun of me. Listen, she can just speed up your songs a little bit more and a little bit more. Yeah, I know. Or even better slow down. Why does that keep getting, It feels awfully high today. Yeah, sometimes he'll... Um, he'll be a little bit, I think, you know, less flattering than he could be on stage. And then a little bit later, he'll forget the words and he'll look at me and I'll be like, what? <laughs> and he's like, well, aren't you going to tell me what the words are? And I'm like, well, is that well, your job to remember the words? Well, I don't yeah. know why I do that. Yeah. <laughs> this, this happens like in the middle of shows. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're just people. Yeah. Which, I, you know, works for us. It's our style. No, I love that. I think that's so charming. Yeah. Well, that's so funny to me because I think nowadays, like the fact that you are a married couple is more of a selling point. Like you said, it is almost like the act is both of you. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it's funny to me to think of a time where somebody would have disliked that you were a married couple. I know, weird, right? Yeah, because to me, I I love that personal relationship between a singer and their collaborative pianist. Yeah, most. Whether or not it's marriage or just close friends or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever right, it is. Most people do. That's the, actually, it was just within the, the music world at the time, they really, I mean, it started to change about this time, but they discouraged you getting married. They discouraged you having children. They discouraged you working oh, yeah. with. We forgot to mention that, that part. Yeah, yeah, I mean, strongly. And we just kind of ignored it. Things were exotic was a little bit more in style then you know like the big fancy superstars everything has gotten a lot more personal since then since the 90s and if you think about like watching the olympics on tv or whatever i mean almost none of us knows enough about all of those different events to really follow the the nuances and they do a lot of you know up close and personal interviews so that we all can kind of stay in the game of curling or, you know, dressage <laughs> or <laughs> I don't know, whatever it yeah, is that, that it is. That amazing story of how she overcame falling and breaking her back. And you're like, oh, don't break your back. Don't. <laughs> don't. Or the horse's great grandfather was the Olympic yeah. champion that was put out to stud but broke his toe or whatever. Yeah, tragic. <laughs> Overcoming yeah. tragedy. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah, I think that's part of it. And also just that we've become more, more confident. And we're just trying to, we're very audience focused these days and very event focused. We like to, to do recitals for groups of people and help causes. And mm-hmm. um, so it, it kind of is about talking. We, we've also learned that we can raise money more effectively than many people because when we get boring about the talking, we can always just sing a show tune and kind of I love break it that. up a little bit. <laughs> Incredible. Hey, how about the show tune? Okay. Yeah, you look a little... I don't think I ever... I don't think I ever told you guys this, but when I was at school, I was like, I don't understand why they don't do a summer fundraiser called Suns Out, Guns Out. <laughs> yes. Well, Jesse, we haven't... Uh, that could still happen. Just saying. Just a, a barbecue concert series. That could, that could still happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So let's take a short break from our interview, but we will be right back at it to talk a little bit about our partners, Yoga for All Musicians. So this past week, I did their Lento class with Amanda uh, on Wednesday night. I had a great time and I was a little bit nervous because it's been a really long time since I've done yoga. I don't really think I've done it much since undergrad. And this was the perfect way to get back into it. It was very slow paced. It was very meditative and I think it really helped me recenter myself for another week of practice and another week of, you know, hard work and opera off stage. <laughs> yeah, it really helped you uh, unwind from all that opera off stage work, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, we're really excited about the fact that Yoga for All Musicians virtual classes are super affordable and you can use code OPERA for 15% off any of their classes at yogaforallmusicians.com. But as we announce in our announcements this episode, we're super excited because this Saturday, February 20th, Yoga for All Musicians instructor and co-founder Amelia is going to host a free yoga class on our Instagram Live. We're super excited. We love to put on free events for you guys. And so we're super excited to have teamed up with Yoga for All Musicians. So if you're looking for a fun way to get your body moving and get into a clear headspace, be sure to join us. Once again, that's Saturday, February 20th. That's going to be at 2 p.m.
Pacific, 4 Central, 5 Eastern. And if you're looking to sign up for a yoga class, use code OPERA for 15% off at any class at yogaforallmusicians.com. So you guys have kind of touched about, you know, these five kids that you have, (laughs) which is like awesome and definitely rare for music couples and musicians. So what were some of the challenges of coming and starting a family as professional musicians and especially as young professional musicians? Well, it's obviously expensive that, you know, kids are expensive, but um, traveling, traveling is really tough with that many kids, because if you think about it, you have you have all the kids and then you have to have a nanny and then even having a car that fits everybody, particularly in Europe, because they just don't build cars that big. (laughs) No taxis in 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 France, they'll only put three people in it and they might even, you know, save a space for their dog or something. So you have to get two taxis everywhere you're going and. Madeline, you know, our oldest, she, she, I think, kind of had to grow up the fastest. You know, she'd be eight years old, and we'd expect her to be able to push luggage across the, you know, the, the street at Heathrow. And, and I was just, don't you think that's kind of the trickiest part? They're pretty tight, though, because they would spend a summer in France or summer in England or summer wherever. And um, they didn't know anybody, so they would play together and then eventually meet someone, you know, some friends in town, but, um, well, um, yeah, I mean, I think it was hard on you not to be able to be at their births. Always. Um, that was another crappy thing about the business is there two of, yeah, I was there for the twins and, uh, um, Madeline, but Jordan and Dylan, they, they wouldn't release me. I couldn't go home. Wow. They wouldn't but release needed... you for that. Mm-mm. And, uh, wow. but I needed, you know, I couldn't get fired. <laughs> You know, so no, yeah, um, that was tough. Yeah, so I would, you know, I would say it's really not. I mean, I suppose you could have. I didn't work nearly as much when the children were little, and Nathan was really rarely around, and he was trying very hard to pay for everybody. So that's kind of where you find yourself. Um, you know. It, was very clear what we needed to do he needed to pay for them and i needed to keep them alive mm-hmm. um, and we did <laughs> a tag team effort the yes. tag team effort exactly <laughs> so that you know um little children there's two things about them that are different than big children they need to be watched 100 percent of the time and uh they're portable so for good or for bad all of those things um, older children don't need to be watched so much, but on the other hand, kind of have things they want to do, you know? So we used to go often to Europe in the summer, like Nathan was saying, and stay in a house. Um, and it was really nice to be able to do that and to be together and have those really exciting experiences. But as they got older, it wasn't that they didn't like being with us, but like 12 weeks is a long time to be gone from your life, you know, where you might want to... Do, they might have something you want to do, like I don't know, yeah, go to camp or play soccer or yeah, I don't sure. know what you want to do. So uh, we had always oh. said, and I think it came to pass that we would ask them to be more flexible when they were little, and we would be more flexible when they were older. And I think that mm-hmm. that did happen. Also, around the time that they got a little older, halfway through childhood, my parents came to live with us a lot of the time. Because we could get babysitters, but they kind of wanted somebody to actually who actually cared about their school play to be there, you know, 
and not a babysitter. Yeah. yeah. So that, you were really so good. <laughs> and and Julie's parents, they wanted, yeah, so obviously she's from California and they had moved to um, Moss Beach, which is just south of San Francisco, kind of go by San Francisco Pacifica, Moss Beach, 25 minute drive. It's actually a really easier commute than any other way to the city. But, um, and they were thinking, well, they wanted to be, you know, around a little bit more, maybe half the year or something. They were looking at a house or looking to buy a house. And I thought, you know, the, I'm home so infrequently that the last thing I want to do is argue about where we're going to spend, you know, Thanksgiving or something. So we just added on to our house. So we built like an in-law wing that's sort of like it's, it's a, it's almost like it's its own house. It is its own house, but it's connected through a bookshelf door so they can shut it and it looks like their own place, but they have their own garage and everything like that. On kitchen. That's so cool. And actually, right now, our oldest daughter and her boyfriend are in there. Yeah, because of the pandemic. So <laughs> her parents were off in California, and then Madeline and her boyfriend had to move back from Jersey, and uh, and they're living there now. So it's it has been a big blessing. But but because of that, we've always had, and this is a nice kind of stability thing in a world where you're traveling all the time, and all, and a lot of things are unstable. It, to have a big family has been great. It has been great. And our friends in Champaign have been great, too. Uh, we, we never move. We have been in the same house, uh, 20, almost 25 years. And although we've been gone, there are periods where we were just gone for a lot of the year. But we always come back to the same place, and we have the same friends. And so, like, a couple of years ago, I wanted to go to Vienna and be with Nathan in, in December. He was singing something I wanted to hear. And, I, you know, it's not, I don't know if you want to go to Europe for less than a, a week. You know, it, it got, I wanted for, to go for two, I guess. And I thought, well, our kids are really fine. And it's kind of, you get to an age where having like a graduate student sleeping next to you that you don't know is scarier than having nobody sleeping next to you. you know? True. <laughs> Not that comforting, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, but I kind of wanted some grownups to stop by now and then and see if they were having a hot meal or, you know, they just check in on them. So our friends each took a different night and fed them mm-hmm. um, and would come over and eat with them and just see how they were doing. And there got to be this really funny competition, you know, like where one would write, what they have yesterday? And like, well, first crab cakes, then <laughs> the you know, kids barbecued got these ribs. awesome meals. They would go over like, I don't know, I, I, you know we'd love vegetables. to come over. <laughs> And, uh, you know, eat with you, but I don't know, Tom and Brenda, they made this amazing flank steak and we had oysters and, and they're like, oh, I was just going to make lasagna yeah. and mac and cheese. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> holy moly. Uh, oh, yeah, holy yeah. moly's right. That was, that was funny. So, yeah, I think having, the, you know, that, that extended family and extended uh, friendship allows them to always know that somebody, you know, is there and I think also sometimes just as a parent you know that your kids maybe don't want to confess everything to you but you'd like the person they confess to to maybe give them some good advice so we kind of intentionally set up those responsible adults in their lives so they mm-hmm. you know recruited a few people like Yvonne and Paul you know Yvonne Redmond and Paul we, we yeah. brought them to New York we thought well if we're going to move out of New York we got to bring our friends yeah can't just be here by ourselves no no. <laughs> there you go that's the move yeah but i think that's also a, a good point is that you 
Urbana, luckily, is not, or Champaign-Urbana, is not the most horrifically expensive place to live. And so not only that, you've got this whole community around you. And it adds a lot of stability in what is sometimes an unstable position of having to leave for periods of time and come back. You're right. You know, a lot of musicians I know feel like they have to live in a big city center. Yeah, they don't. But it's also, of course incredibly expensive and then sometimes a pandemic hits mm-hmm. and you cannot afford to live in the city center anymore that's, right. uh, that's true and and i think one thing that's great about champagne and other college towns like this but of course we love champagne the most is that it's only about 10 minutes to get anywhere and if you live in you know let's say brooklyn i mean we have friends who move apartments so that they can save an hour each way off their commute because they're close to a different subway stop but when you have a a two-hour commute a day or a three-hour commute both ways what you miss is your relationships because you are going to at some point go home and you are going to at some point go to work but what you don't have is the community because you don't have time you're on the on the subway or in the car you know so that's the nice thing about here everybody has time yeah Mm -hmm. that's nice you said that you started, you stopped working as much when your kids were little. How much time did you, I guess, take off? <laughs> um, were you kind of still working consistently? or I think the basic chapters of the book are that I got my doctorate. And then, then I had those twins. And that was, like, you know, serious. Like, Madeline was six. Yeah. <laughs> twins are serious, yes. Yeah. And I, 100%. Five kids and the oldest was six. So that yeah. was kind of a, um, almost absurd. But six, then, four, two, and then newborns. It was crazy. But, you know, like, we took those twins to Philadelphia for a, a recital, and mm-hmm. they couldn't have been more than two months old. No. They, maybe less. I think they're under two months. Um, we just put them each in a... I snugly and got on the plane because I was like, I am not going to cancel another recital because I had a baby. So we we were giving a lot of major recitals in those days. I but a recital, yeah, no problem. It's just Nathan, me, piano, baby under piano, and and then someone watches the baby for an hour and a half. It's no big deal. You can do that kind of work pretty well. And we would practice literally during nap time mm-hmm. every day. And that's what we did. I was really lucky because then the University of Illinois approached me to be on the faculty, approached the two of us together. But I started work the very day my youngest kids went to kindergarten. I just dropped them off and went to work. So it, I don't know how that happened. I was very lucky. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I had an academic job that allowed me to work until 2.30. I still pick them up from school every day. That's good. And it wasn't, you know, Jesse knows me as um, being much more involved in lyric theater and opera and musical theater, but it wasn't until the kids got to be 12, 13 years old where I was working like that at night. So that's been great, actually. I, I'm pretty glad I did it that way. And now Nathan is home much more, and we are having a, like an even better chapter doing this stuff together. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I, I mean, literally, not until this pandemic. I didn't, I, I've never been home this much. I didn't see, like, <laughs> I didn't know why we had certain bushes. I thought they're so ugly. But then I realized, oh, they actually have beautiful flowers in the spring. <laughs> never been here in and May. Never, yeah, I've never been here in May. And, and, and then I, you know, I get, to, I'm starting to get to know everybody who works here. And I, I can teach more students and uh, coming up with all sorts of weird kind of fun projects that I'm doing. And I thought, well, I'm, 
I'm just not going to go back to that old way of doing stuff. I, 25 years being on the road is plenty. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. It so now I only do um, things that I want to do. That's the dream, right? <laughs> and it involves new. Yeah. Yeah, right. It involves yeah. doing some new works, a lot of interesting new stuff happening um, with this kind of mix between pre-recorded and live shows and things of that nature. A lot of, you know, fundraising events and uh, directing things and producing things and um, learning about video, learning about video learning and audio about, and all this yeah. kind of stuff. I find it exciting. And I think it's really particularly exciting for all of you, you youngsters who are moving, going to be moving into a world of performing and, and um, that is particularly live performing, but all kinds. It's this interesting. The landscape has been, it's been burned down, right? So all the voices that are at one point too quiet to be heard are now being heard and interestingly enough the smaller and more boutique it is the more cost effective it is and the better it is to get your uh, you know hit the, hit the ground running and that's great yeah i also think just in general you know the time for five thousand seat houses to sing mozart is over i just it made no sense to me then, and it makes no sense now. Our theme this year is New Year, New Music. So all year we are focusing on new music and interesting productions that people are putting on. And we've got a couple people who are, we're speaking with about getting to preview and do watch parties with their premieres because a lot of people videoed, videotaped stuff for the past year. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very exciting, actually. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. See it. yeah, definitely. Nathan, I have a question for you and mm -hmm. Julie. Um, so kind of during like the height of your career when you were really gone um, for a lot of the year, what were some ways that you kind of set like some intentional times so that when you were home, you kind of felt that bond between your kids and your family? Because I think well, that like a lot of people who do a lot of traveling for a long period of time, like mm -hmm. sometimes won't even necessarily like lean towards commitment because they're worried about just being away all the time. So what are some mm -hmm. things that helped you? Well, it, from the, from when I started to now, when, when I started, um, we couldn't communicate because you'd have to send a letter or, you know, there, there, we didn't have this, you know, and, uh, this kind of, you know, being able to zoom or Skype or FaceTime or any of that. Nobody had cell phones. They had beepers and, stuff like that so when you were gone you were gone and with all of this technology it's a lot easier to stay in touch with people you could we have a, a what we call familia it's a group text so you know even when kids aren't here we'll say you know who's in for dinner and who's going to have what if we're going to pick something up or things like that uh it's easy to be it's easy to find time to just do a quick facetime or something like that and after a while i don't think it, i mean for a while it was every three weeks and I'd come home or at least try to unless it was Europe and then that was tough in Europe we would usually go like mm -hmm. if, if we couldn't work Good. that out we you know it was sort of solved in all different directions yeah. sometimes if it was a shorter trip he would take one kid because mm -hmm. one kid can kind of behave in a way that two kids kind of can't you know they start to be like he touched me you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> So true. Uh, yeah. So, um, I I have two older siblings, and I I know very well the difference between being on a trip alone and being on a trip with one of my brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, you know, they have to like, you know, they would like push each other out of the way so they could push the elevator button. Yeah, stuff you like know, that. that kind of stuff. Uh, so that helped, and then 
And then in, I think it's actually hardest. One of the bigger tricky ones is the West coast of the United States to the East coast of the United States. Cause the time doesn't work out very well. If you, if you want one day off, you kind of have to take three. You and don't so, get there in the right, you know? Yeah. So if that, so that was tough and we would, you know, we would think about that, but then again, you know, there's, there's always just when you have a big family and, and you have, you have to pay for their private school, you've got to take certain jobs and, and, um, and that took precedence yeah. for a while. It really did work out that way. I but mean, the other, the other thing was the private school was necessary because if they were in public school, they, we couldn't get them released to come visit. So it was like, you got to put them in a private school. You got to figure out how to pay for it so they can come and visit you. There was a lot of, we just kind of spent school, the time and money. We spent a lot of money. We, we just spent $50,000 a year, no matter what, on their education. Even if we wouldn't get billed, we just would put it away. Mm-hmm. So it's been actually the same amount. At some point, we're going to be like, where is Where'd we get all, all this, money? this money coming from? <laughs> we're almost there. Uh, Private school. Yes. And, the, yeah. <laughs> and then college. You're like, I know. Whoa. Nick, our, our youngest son is playing football in his freshman year in college, D3 school. And the coach has five kids, too. And he's like, I got to tell you, it's a major windfall when that youngest kid gets a job. You're just like rolling in dough. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a good day. Yeah. So, you know, I think um, a lot of telephone calls, a lot of FaceTime, a lot of traveling back and forth, being able to put the kid on the on a plane you know, by themselves was a big deal after a while. Um, that, that didn't happen until pretty late because yeah. we've had so many bad flying experiences. Yeah. So you have to want to make sure that. But but then they're pretty, you know, solid on airplanes. They're comfortable. And, you know, so many people all over the place that there's almost. There's almost some. There's a friend almost everywhere that can take care of yeah. them, wherever they're going. If they get uh, laid over, yeah, um, they were pre- they're pretty strongly rooted in who they are. I think, and I think one benefit anybody who has a big family recognizes is that it's much less like intensely conflicted or personal. You know, everybody has grumpy days in the world, and if there are six other people in the house and you're grumpy, and six people say. I've noticed you're kind of grumpy today. You're less likely to think it's your mom or dad or some deep, you know, reason. Maybe you're just a little out of sorts and should have a cup of coffee. And and that <laughs> has been kind of the yeah. the atmosphere in this house. And Michelle, it was uh, to kind of answer your question um, as well in terms of this. When I left, I was just one of seven people who was gone. I mean, I know I was dad, but it's not like one of three. Then mm-hmm. there's a big vacuum. Mostly what I had to do is, is stop trying to nest whenever I got back. I'd start organizing stuff and moving things, and that would really annoying. make people irritated. <laughs> and so, That's so funny. Um, yeah, so I stopped doing that. And I'd try to find little places where I could put things that they wouldn't move. So when oh. I got back, it was still there. Right. No such thing. Yeah. And sad. I, my drawer. Very sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's anyway. I totally understand. No, you don't. But still annoying. <laughs> so, still annoying. what was your favorite part? <laughs> what was your favorite part about raising kids in kind of a musical household? Oh, I know. I I know one of your daughters plays cello. Yeah, and she went to school for mm-hmm. it, 
right? She just graduated. She has, long. She well, has maybe a podcast. It was long ago. She, it's been two years. She, oh. she, has, she also has a podcast called... Class Half Full. Class Half Full. It's like all about Ooh. classical music in a way that um, is chill. So people can be like not intimidated by it. Cheater I love that. Group. Maybe you guys can team up. You can, we team, will up. Check it out. can team up. I Class love that. Half Full. Yeah. She's the... The one who's interested in music from a professional point of view. Yeah, she's more like a, she's like I am in the sense that she's kind of like just, she plays the cello, I sing, but kind of like an athlete is an athlete. She's always wanted to know, she's always known, I want to play the cello. That's it. So it's been pretty clear for her for a very long time. The other ones are a little bit more vague in their um, likes and dislikes. I mean, Nick plays a little jazz piano, we sing in a choir, but I, I don't think they're... Um... I don't think music is more important. I, I would say what they all do right now is read a lot. It's a very literary sort of family in the sense that, you know, also traveling, you got to read, right? And they go to mm-hmm. see a lot of shows. They're, you know, their choice in music is really eclectic. They've seen everything. You know, they don't think, you know how most people, if you say the word opera, they're kind of intimidated by it. My kids aren't. As a matter of fact, Jordan, the cellist, she's like, Dad, until you did Eugene Onegin, I didn't really like the operas you were in. And I found out it's because they didn't they didn't have good cello parts, right? So oh. she didn't like all the doom 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 stuff. Truly, after Michelle's own heart on that one. Oh, I love Eugene O'Neill. Michelle loves Eugene oh O'Neill. I could great. listen to that all the time. <laughs> I know it's awesome. But yeah, that's one of the beautiful things about uh, having a musical family is that it's not necessarily about everyone getting into music or being a part of it, but like exposure to so much music kind of just informs you culturally as a person and it, it bleeds into your other interests your interest in the classics mm-hmm. which you know are the basis for so much of it or just even meeting playwrights or being in some of those places um especially at a young age yeah, meeting yeah. the people who are creating the stuff i think has been very interesting for them like the just if you watch the inauguration our friend gene Shear, the song that was quoted that that song gene who wrote the song is a good friend of ours and right after he wrote it he called us and said, I just wrote, you know, chestnuts roasting over an open fire. And he came over and played it. And then it was the name of my first recording, American Anthem. And so, you know, so they know Gene like he's family. And then they're watching the President of the United States quoting his song. And those sorts of, or they meet, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg at the Supreme Court. or you know, That was a big deal for Maddie. Yeah, or Mandy Patinkin calls into yeah. Dylan's show, his, not show, his class about... Um, they read the Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. They read the Princess Bride. He's like, Bride. well, you want so, Maddie, Mandy to come in? Like, uh, yeah, I can have it, Mandy, yeah. you know, come in and read. <laughs> you know, and so, so they know, yeah. I guess, uh, they, it's, not, it's not somehow dissociated from, you know, with their lives. And, and I think it makes them in some ways think, you know, anything is possible. Also, the other just good thing about it is they, they don't think music is something you, yeah. you push a button to listen to. They actually think you can, you make it. You know, they know what it sounds like live. You sit at the piano and you play, or you play the cello, or it's not just on a, you know, on the internet. Let's talk a little bit about what you wanted to promo on the show. Okay. Sure. The event. Well, the big thing we want to promote is just Lyric Theater at Illinois, which Jesse knows a lot about, and Cranert Center. We're doing all sorts of projects there. We have a video series um, called Show Talk, Mm -hmm. and it has a theme song. That we created. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's a. It's a song by uh, uh, Susan uh, Warner. Warner, and we kind of uh, changed it a little bit and changed the words to fit 
the Cranert Center. So it's like the Cranert Center song now. So we made that a theme song. Well, it was the Cranert Center song. It was the, for the 50th anniversary of the Cranert Center. For the 50th, yeah. But, but it had, this is like, it kind of ogled Nathan a little it bit. It did a the bit. Truth. So we changed a lot of that. And, and, uh, <laughs> And the the so the show is basically a, a show that uh, a talk show where we interview different people that come to the center and uh, we talk to them about the creative process, what happens before they go on stage. Everybody sees final product, but how did they come up with it? You know, what is that weird thing that artists do that makes art? And so we're doing that, which is cool. I'm I'm going to be um, you know we created something called the Cranerts Center Lyric Theater Excellence fund and uh i'm going to be doing we're you know basically it supports the center it supports our program and i'm going to be doing a show i'm going to italy in about a month for two weeks to do an original musical play i guess you'd call it that hershey felder who's a friend of mine he does all this stuff has written and it's about puccini he's done he's a pianist and he has done uh shows about tchaikovsky irving berlin leonard bernstein a lot of them in Southern California, San Diego Rep and also mm-hmm. Laguna Playhouse. Yeah, yeah. along the West mm. Coast mostly. But now he's uh, lives in Florence, and so he's created essentially a kind of a production company. And so he does all these shows that are what I think a lot of what's going to happen. What I think it's a new art form. It's where it's filmed and it's also live, and then it's going to be premiered. It's about Puccini, his life, and kind of through the lens of him writing Tosca. And so uh, I'm going to go there and, and do that, and it'll be premiered on the on, on March 14th. But what's great is that uh, all the tickets that we sell, personally, we'll send out links to that. We'll go to fund uh, Lyric Theater. That's the idea. So a lot of what we're doing is basically tr- trying to do things that can help, you know, our program uh, and its uh, as well as other uh, non for profits that we're interested in but for the, this particular one coming up in march it'll be you know 100 going to lyric theater yeah. in illinois that's amazing and i mean as someone who came through the program for grad school there i i can't for all of our listeners who are younger looking at undergrad and grad school programs i really can't recommend uiuc and lyric theater enough i don't think i would be half the artist i am now if i hadn't come through that program and i felt like it really it really helped me become an artist and also, just like the amount of people I got to meet and work with, incredible artists, including Nathan and Julie, I got to network with so many people and I got to meet so many people doing really crazy, interesting things in the music and in the artistic performance world. So I can't recommend that enough. And I really look forward to seeing the video series and the performances and supporting Lyric well, Theater. Thank you, Jessica. Well, thank you very much. We miss you and we're glad you had a good time and took a lot of that with you. We're always trying to do creative stuff there and and our students really actually bring a lot of our ideas you know we have fundamental ideas about what what's important in art making and what's important in singing like vocal health or but we also think that creativity and flexibility of of styles is really important so mm-hmm. what we end up doing has a lot to do with who ends up coming and working with us you know they come up with really cool ideas like we had auditions yesterday, and one of the girls like, well, like, tell us about yourself. We know how you sing. You already auditioned. But what else do you do? She's like, well, I design stickers. <laughs> I said, well, if you come study with us, you can design the LTI sticker, which we don't even have. Yeah. She said, oh, my gosh. 
so oh, yeah. excited by that. When James was there, all the bake sales. Right, that's what we told him about the cupcakes. And we have another uh, <laughs> another student who is really into donuts. And we're like, well, well, you can make an LTI donut or a Sweeney Todd donut. It could have a little fingernail in it, a little bit of ambiguous meat or a whatever. Hair, a little hair. Whatever, yeah. you know. <laughs> ambiguous we are meat. huge proponents of having... A big, ambiguous meat. <laughs> We are big proponents of having a big full life, full of music, but also other interests that inform you and and join you with other people, like baking, like sticker making, like all of these fun things that that give you a break from music, but also allow you to contribute in new and fun ways. And, exactly and they all feed into what you end up doing artistically. Yeah, always because we want a whole person. We don't want a, we don't want a robot. No, that's yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's spot right. on. Well. Thank you guys so much for joining us and chatting with us and like, giving us and our listeners a little peek into what it's like to be married and what it's like to have a family and being musicians. So thank you guys for joining us. You're very well, welcome, Michelle. Absolutely. Thank you You're for very welcome, asking Michelle, us. Jessica. We'll talk Lots to you again fun. soon. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Well, thanks again to Nathan and Julie for joining us. This was a very fun episode to get to record. It was great to get to talk to them. If you want to be a supporter of the podcast, please check out our Patreon. We have a lot of really fun stuff that we offer on there, including a lot of our printables that we have on our website, as well as uh, mini-sodes and little extras. It's a lot of fun, and it helps us to continue to be able to interview really interesting guests like the guns. If you want to make sure you catch all of our future interviews and episodes, please follow our socials. We are at Opera Offstage on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have a website, opera-offstage.com, where you can contact us. Um, And we have a Discord, which you can get to through our Instagram bio. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye.